0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Wharton Fintech Podcast. I'm your host, Anirudh Singh. Our guest today is Kim Woodmont, project manager at the Central Bank of the Bahamas. Now, a few weeks ago, you may have heard of a white paper released by the Digital Dollar Project that explored the case for a U.S. Central Bank Digital Currency, or CBDC. By contrast, through Project Sand Dollar, the Central Bank of the Bahamas has already launched a nationwide CBDC the first nationally adopted digital currency in the world. In today's episode, you'll hear about Kimwood's unique path to the central bank, how COVID-19, Hurricane Dorian, and limited credit card penetration in the country pushed the team to a faster rollout, and what the central bank hopes to accomplish next. We end today's session with a rapid fire round of questions. Enjoy the show. Hi, Kimwood, and thank you so much for joining the Wharton Fintech podcast. How are you doing today? I'm excellent. Thank you very much for inviting me. Of course. We are so excited to have you on the call. Could you do me a favor and just introduce yourself to our guests and talk a little bit about your career before joining the Central Bank of the Bahamas? Sure. Um,
1: My name is uh, Kim Wood I am the project coordinator or project manager for the Sandall implementation here at the Central Bank. Prior to coming to the Central Bank, I had a long career in the financial industry. A lot of what I've done has been more on the technology and project management side. Um, I did start off an interesting story I like to tell individuals here at the bank is one of my very first jobs um, way back, I can't remember how many years ago it was, uh, my first job was actually being a clearing clerk where I would take you know, a briefcase full of checks, bring them there. here to this very same building at the central bank um, in exchange with other uh, financial institutions and then take it back to my bank, um, at which time we would do check clearing. So I guess it came full circle. Um, That was once at Barclays Bank, um, where I started out. Barclays Bank is where I really have a lot of my foundation. I started out there as a, like I said, a clearing clerk that then took me into a batching clerk that took me into actually being a cash teller. Um, After being a teller for some time, I moved on um, into the IT um, sphere of things, um, where we became a part of what they call the regional processing center which was revolutionary in its time um, back in the early 90s, or mid to late 90s, sorry, um, where we created this VSAT network um, linking all of the Barclays banks throughout the entire Caribbean to one centralized hub and database. Um, We did go off to Jamaica and England to do some training, um, as well as some development work, and then we came back here to the Bahamas and we put it all together. After some time with the bank, I then moved on to a small consultancy firm that was focused primarily on Microsoft technologies. Um, And then from there, I moved on to a few offshore banks. The last one, um, you know, the last two major ones being Cititrust and J.P. Morgan, um, where again, I started to transition more from the day-to-day IT running of things to IT management and then into full-blown project management with IT-related projects within those institutions.
0: Amazing. And I want to talk about uh, your transition to the Central Bank of the Bahamas in a second, because I know that's an interesting story. But first, I also noticed you're currently the CEO and founder of the Father Foundation. Uh, can you talk a little bit about this organization and, and how it got started?
1: Sure. Um, so when I did have some downtime in between um, some of my career changes, um, we recognize, again, you know, I've always been very civic minded and understanding that a lot of the social ills that we were facing here in the Bahamas had a lot to do with absentee fathers, or what they call a wounded father syndrome. So what me and a few of my friends uh, came together, and we created this foundation called the Good Father Foundation, with a goal and an aim to try to assist with either young individuals who did not have a father figure to look up to, or to also try to instill some sort of uh, career aspirations and opportunities for those men, be they, you know, offenders in the you know, system that came out and were looking for something to do, or just men who just needed some guidance as to how to be a better father uh, and to get that type of moral support that they needed. Um, so that was the primary focus and goal of that institution. So we would try to get, again, to be social-minded and some of the things that we did.
0: Yeah, that's great to hear. I'm glad you're able to continue working on that with your current role as well. So let's talk about your transition to the Central Bank of the Bahamas. Uh, you've been there for about eight, nine months now. Uh, What prompted this career switch?
1: Yeah, so it's quite an interesting story. Um, Not one that it wasn't like we were just, you know, sitting around saying, you know, what I want to go to the central bank. I was at J.P. Morgan. J.P. Morgan was going through a massive global restructuring. And I was one of those persons that was selected to be let go. Um, So during that downsizing exercise. In between that period, I decided to take some time off. I decided to open a restaurant. Because again, that was also one of my first loves. Um, I love to cook. And they said, if you do what you love to do, the money will come. And sure enough, it did. But unfortunately, we then had the COVID-19 pandemic. And again, restaurants were one of the hardest hit industries um, during that time. So we eventually had to close the restaurant. And I found myself just sitting, watching Netflix and YouTube for about six months. Um, but during that period, I decided, you know, rather than just sitting here wasting time, um, mm-hmm. let me continue to strengthen some of my professional skills. My son and I were sitting down and we were talking about some of the things that we were seeing in the news. And one of the big stories was um, what China was doing with the CBDC. That prompted us to say, well, wait, isn't the bombers also trying to create a CBDC? And I think we were far ahead of what China was accomplishing. So as we continued to do those Google searches and we came across the Sand Dollar project, we recognized that there was also a position open at the time. And I thought, you know, looking at the requirements, it sort of fit everything that basically was on my resume. So definitely, again, having an understanding of technology, specifically SQL databases and distributed ledger technology, project management, um, everything just spoke to me. and I said, well, here I am just twiddling my thumbs, watching Netflix, watching YouTube. This will be a perfect opportunity. Um, So I applied for the position, and now here I am today.
0: That's great. And can we talk a little bit about the goals of Project Sand Dollar at a high level? Uh, Why was this project started, and what does the uh, Central Bank of the Bahamas hope to accomplish with this?
1: Sure. So, again, the Central Bank of the Bahamas had a payment system modernization initiative. And well beyond um, what we were doing with Sand Dollar, with Sand Dollar, I guess can be considered one of the biggest, most impactful, game-changing events that we've done through this initiative. The governor here at the central bank has a great vision. Um, he's very revolutionary, um, and he believes in technology. Uh, he believes in the change. Uh, so you know, he's despite his age, he's very young at mind. So and that that's a really good thing to have somebody at the helm. Who's actually looking to just shake things up and is not afraid to take those chances? And what he recognized, again, being an archipelago and looking at some of the inefficiencies um, that we have in cash management and cash handling, as well as setting certain goals to reduce cash management and cash handling throughout the country, recognized that we needed to make the payment systems more efficient, also create greater inclusion for those persons who wanted to come into the digital payment space. Also, to not be discriminatory against certain individuals who may or may not be in a position to actually hold even the standard deposit account, be it because of their undocumented or the fact that they are underage um, and it's just not legally possible for them to do so. It also strengthens our national defense against money laundering and counterfeiting and creates some efficiencies for government disbursements as well as collection through digital channels when you recognize that there's a significant portion of your population that is unbanked or underbanked, and also recognizing that our demographics and our geological layout, we have a lot of banks that are pulled out of smaller rural uh, communities. And again, being stretched over you know, a significant portion of the Atlantic Ocean, you know it's very difficult to move cash around. And also from a technology standpoint, you do have some far-flung islands, while they may have internet access, They don't have access to banking infrastructure. So therefore, the difficulty in providing KYC or some sort of physical um, presence to at least establish that initial contract or negotiation isn't really possible. So then it requires individuals to have to do a lot of um, extraneous traveling or expense on their part just to be able to operate in this digital space um, financially. But Sand Dollar actually now coming in Reactivizes and alleviates a lot of the strain that persons are going through, especially in an archipelago such as ours. So the governor, in recognizing and looking at some of the issues that we're facing today, um, put in place the CBDC that answers a lot of those um, issues and brings uh, some of those things to, um, I guess, basically resolve some of those problems for individuals.
0: Got it. And I know in October of 2020, pretty shortly after you joined the team. Uh, Project Sand Dollar launched a national rollout, making the currency available to the public. How was this initial rollout received? Were there any surprises in that pilot that you didn't see coming?
1: So during the pilot, the Central Bank of the Bahamas initially created our own Sand Dollar wallet. And it was dubbed Sand Dollar. So there's an actual application called Sand Dollar. And then, of course, our CBDC's name is also Sand Dollar. And I try my best to try to to explain the person's. There's a sand dollar application, and then there's a sand dollar currency. And they're not one and the same. One is a digital wallet, and one is a digital currency. During the pilot, because most of the financial institutions were just being introduced to the sand dollar currency, did not have a digital wallet with which they can hold that currency. So therefore, during the pilot, in the Exumas, we were able to use our own app that we developed ourselves. The Exumas was chosen because... Exuma, like the Bahamas, has one main island and a lot of populated keys surrounding it in very, very close proximity. So it sort of was a microcosm of overall archipelago where we have New Providence at the center and all of these islands um, basically in close proximity around us as well. And so during that pilot, it was very well received. Um, The technology held through. Um, The actual merchants and individuals on the ground um, took full advantage of it. And again, this was pre-COVID. So again, while COVID may have stimulated and accelerated the need and use of digital platforms, persons already started to see the benefits in operating in that space. So it was very well received um, during our pilot um, phase. As we did the national rollout back in October, one of the issues that we faced was the fact that a lot of the financial institutions, while wanting to operate with a CBDC such as Sand Dollar, were not prepared to use our Sand Dollar application. So, therefore, a lot of them already had an application and/or a digital wallet that carried with it some of their own proprietary digital tokens. And then, trying to integrate our CBDC into those um, proprietary applications, there were some. I guess you'd call it some roadblocks and um, there were some hurdles to, to, to actually overcome. And so therefore the technology could not keep up with the demand for the actual currency. So there was somewhat of a slowdown when the actual financial institutions, who we rely heavily on as far from a point of distribution of the digital currency, because again, there are no direct relationships between the Central Bank of the Bahamas and the customers and the population. Um, We only deal directly with those, you know, registered and supervised financial institutions um, that we manage here in the Bahamas. But we do not keep any type of accounts or have any type of um, relationships with individuals. So therefore, relying heavily on these financial institutions and their digital wallets um, was somewhat of a, I I guess, a hurdle for us to, to overcome. But since then, we've recognized that, you know, they have been burning the midnight oil And they, for the most part, have now come full circle and their digital wallets are now rivaling or
0: actually better than the digital wallet that we had first created um, for the pilot. I want to talk a bit more about private sector adoption in a second. But first, you mentioned kind of the impact that COVID had on your adoption and your rollout. Did the team feel an additional sense of urgency to get this product rolled out nationally because of COVID-19?
1: Yes. um, So once COVID had settled in, what we recognized initially, the current um, national insurance and social services boards were inundated with requests. Because, again, you know, COVID had a worldwide shutdown. A lot of jobs were lost. A lot of persons um, went on unemployment benefits. And most of the traditional methods of making payments were through either checks And there was a massive pivot and a shift towards trying to find some way to meet the demand digitally. One of the biggest issues was the fact that in order to distribute these checks, in order for persons to come in and apply for social assistance, was generating the same type of crowds and lines that, you know, the protocols spoke against. And again, you know, if everyone is in the crowd trying to get their money, They're not going to be, you know, as adhering to those protocols because they're on lines forever, they're out in the hot sun, you know, and and they're agitated and they're aggravated, they're unemployed. There's so many things going on. And so therefore, trying to make sure that we have a different method of payment for us to actually get funds to the persons who needed it fastest. And again, even recognizing even right before COVID um, hit, we had a national disaster with the Hurricane Dorian that decimated two of our northern islands, um, Abaco and Grand Bahama. And that also wiped out a lot of the physical brick and mortar banks and and commercial institutions. And so even there was where we first started to jump into action as to what type of solution we can put in place to get funds to the persons who need it in a timely fashion. So between COVID and the Hurricane Dorian really started to prompt um, the government as well as other social organizations to recognize that We can't do business as usual. We need to try to find better, more efficient ways to disperse cash to districts and to individuals who are unbanked or underbanked or just don't have access to these financial institutions. So yes, between COVID and Hurricane Dorian, I think that also helped with the national adoption as far as individuals who may not have wanted to go into a digital space or um, just weren't um, as comfortable operating digitally saw that this was now either the only way in order for them to operate. And because it was on such a mass scale, then I guess they felt a bit more comfortable because now we have not just financial institutions that are touting this digital currency, but you actually have the government and the government social services both also coming on
0: board that gives it an added level of security and comfort. Now, I imagine one more variable that affects adoption is smartphone penetration and credit card penetration. Can you talk a little bit about the landscape of that in the Bahamas and how that has either helped or hindered adoption? Sure.
1: Ahead of the actual pilot, there were some analytics collected. And and what we recognized was that there was a heavy proliferation of smartphone technology throughout the Bahamas. Also, when we rolled out our first major cable provider that was in competition with the National Telecommunications Corporation, uh, they had a mandate to ensure that every single island um, was given high-speed fiber optic cabling as well as Wi-Fi internet. So we were already at a point where, from a technology standpoint in the country, we were well advanced. We were already having broadband speeds. Right now, they're about to be rolling out 5G. Um, So we already had 4G, LTE technology already in place on just about every single island. What we also recognized was the fact that a significant amount of the individuals already had either a bank account and or a credit or debit card. But we had about, I think it was a 92% penetration of adults with a smartphone. I can't remember the exact statistics around how many had a bank account, but there were far more persons with a cell phone than a bank account. Uh, and we also recognized that a lot of those persons were very tech savvy and had already either downloaded in some way, shape, or form those digital wallets using those proprietary tokens in order to operate with certain merchants. But what we also recognized was when we started to talk about the credit card penetration, when it came to merchant services, there were a lot of merchants that were not in the space to receive a credit card. and um, may have been more so some of the larger organizations would have credit card capability, but some of the smaller merchants, the small to medium enterprises found it very difficult to operate in the credit card space because of the cost of entry as well as the cost to operate. Uh, And again, if their bottom line was already very slim and the persons with whom they normally would transact were already cash-intense, then they didn't see the need for the credit card. So they were always cash-intense and they didn't see the need to do it. And when they even thought about the need, maybe they saw there was some opportunity loss because they may have had two or three customers walk out because they only had a credit card on them, they didn't see that as significant um, enough to invest in the credit card technology.
0: Got it. And private sector adoption is going to be key to the Project Sand Dollar success. Can you talk a little bit about some of the more exciting or notable partnerships that you've been able to form to date?
1: So, and again,
0: the central money not actually having direct
1: relationship with the private sector, but focusing heavily on our financial institutions and their um, adoptions and methods of promoting um, the Sand Dollar the partnership that we've had with those financial institutions have been great. Um, like I mentioned earlier, they have been developing their own digital wallets. They've been developing their own merchant services. And what we've seen in this space um, just over the last three months has been phenomenal. Some of the financial institutions that did not join us in October, but have joined us later on around January or February, they have come out with solutions that really rival any fintech. So now they're offering in-app sales and purchases. There's a big push towards interoperability. And what I mean by that was the fact that when we looked at all of these different digital wallets, they all operated in little silos. So if I was with Financial Institution A using their token, so Merchant A would only be able to transact with Financial Institution A and any customer with the same wallet as Financial Institution A. And so, therefore, there was this competition for those financial institutions to try to just get as many merchants as possible, as many customers as possible onto their platform. But what Dollar did in the introduction of Sandollar and the demand or, or, or the, the mandate of interoperability now means that an individual could be with financial institution A, but they can still transact with the merchant who was onboarded by financial institution B. Because again, now there's an underlying Payrail, similar to if somebody was to go into any commercial outlet with a credit card, they won't ask you, well, which bank did you onboard with this credit card? As long as it has a particular symbol on it, and we would accept that symbol, then that will work, regardless of who the merchant service provider is on the back end. The same is now being key with Sandola. And because of the innovation that they have been doing on their end, and the relationships that they've already had with those private institutions, so those merchants that they may have already onboarded, that's say that they already had onboarded 1,000 merchants or 18,000 merchants, 20,000 merchants just within their little silo. Once they integrated with Sand Dollar, those 10 20,000 merchants immediately became Sand Dollar enabled. So there was no additional marketing or promotion that had to happen in order to convert or to enroll those merchants into the Sand Dollar space because now Sand Dollar became an additional payment method within those
0: relationships
1: and merchant services that already
0: existed amazing and zooming out for a little bit what would you say are the next goals what comes next for the project over the next year or so
1: um so what's right on the horizon is the integration you spoke about the private concerns being integrated into the dollar space but now we're looking at government integration and um, with government integration it's going to be twofold recognizing again Individual may want to use the sand dollar, but then you start to ask the question, where can I use it? Should I just get this because it's novel, it's nice, it's cool, everyone is talking about digital currencies now, and then I go ahead and I load a digital wallet. I have 200 sand dollars in my wallet now, and then I go to the hot dog vendor and they don't accept it. I go to the food store, they don't accept it. I go to get my driver's license, the government doesn't accept it. So again, the focus is now shifted on making sure that all of our merchants are now accepting sand dollar. There's been, you know, again, we always ask the question, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? You know, do you should you get a wallet because everyone's accepting it? Or should you be a merchant who wants to accept it because everybody has the wallets? And so now that we're focusing heavily on the merchant side, more individuals start to ask the question, well, where can I spend it? Where can I spend it? Where can I spend it? And they're seeing this marked increase because as other financial institutions flip the switch, all of their merchant services are now sand dollar enabled, some even using web portal access, et cetera. Now, with the government integration, persons can now, and again, they're one of the biggest distributors of cash in the economy. So therefore, now, if recognizing that I can go to get my driver's license renewed or my passport renewed or pay for a traffic ticket, whatever the case may be, using sand dollars, that's an added advantage and an added incentive to want to be able to hold this in your pocket. Secondary to that is the fact that the government being the largest distributor of cash in the system and recognizing some of the cost and expense and and, and the logistics of heavy cash management and movement throughout an island nation such as ourselves, being able to now transmit funds electronically thousands of miles away or hundreds of miles away in the click of a button rather than having to load it up on a plane, flying it down and then distributing it as payroll. The government can now actually pay payroll through Sand Dollar. And this is something that we're working on right now, creating a solution for the government in order for them to be able to not just collect at any point of sale entries that they have for persons to consume government services, but also the government will now, from a social service standpoint, as well as payroll and other payments of contracts, can be done through Sand Dollar to any recipient, regardless of whether or not they're here in our capital in Providence and one of our islands as far south as Inagua, which is our
0: most southern island. And have other governments or countries reached out to you to try to get your advice on a similar project? Uh, do you expect more countries to do this in the coming years?
1: Um, yeah, we have been inundated with requests. We are constantly on calls. Everyone is looking at us as a shining beacon. You know, We were the first central bank digital currency in the world to actually go live. And a lot of persons are looking at the fact that we have been successful. And we don't have anybody already in the space where we can sort of mimic and learn from their mistakes or learn from some of their um, achievements. Um, So right now, we're that person who everyone is looking to and asking the questions. So we've been invited by multiple central banks or payment systems uh, to come and speak, to answer certain questions and to get a better idea as to what the CBDC is and what it's doing and how it's actually impacting our economy. So we've we've been very busy on that front as well.
0: That's great. I'm really happy to see it. I think it's a fantastic initiative, especially considering, you know, smartphone penetration and lack of credit card penetration, like we mentioned, to get digital payments enabled. Uh, But now I want to transition to the rapid fire round of our conversation, hoping to get answers in 10 seconds or less. Uh, And the first question I have, you mentioned you opened a restaurant a few months back. Uh, What is your best or favorite dish?
1: Um, Waba pancakes.
0: What time of year should people visit the Bahamas?
1: Um, In the months of December and January, um, that's when we have our native festival. Um, It's called Junkanoo. It's one of the best parades you will ever witness in the world. The weather is beautiful. I know in other countries during that time, it's snowing. But here in the Bahamas, it's bright, it's sunny, it's cool. You'll enjoy it. The food, the festivity, the lights, it's
0: beautiful. What about uh, your favorite FinTech product?
1: Uh, I'd say my favorite fintech product, um, especially now being in this space, I've seen some very interesting digital wallets um, that operate almost like little small Amazon stores. So individuals have not just been able to see how they can store uh, digital currencies within the wallet, but how to integrate it to a point beyond just um, performing a transaction, but full on, basically mini malls in your phone.
0: Wow. All right. And last question. Um, and you can take some more time on this one. What does success look like for you?
1: I think right now, success, specifically in the Sand Dollar space, it's seeing that Sand Dollar accepted here sticker just about on every door of every merchant. Seeing or having the ability to walk onto a bus and just scan a QR code as I enter. Seeing tourists arrive at the airport and being able to go to a kiosk insert their um, currencies in and actually have their phones be topped up with sand dollars so that they can just operate in a sand dollar space and never have to use cash whilst here on the island. To just see persons just be able to move about and transact as quickly as possible, as efficiently, as safely as possible in just about every aspect of their life, be it they're buying a hot dog on the side of the street by just scanning a QR code, children need lunch money, you know, just be able to text the money over to the kids, even though they're already at school. That level of, you know, movement of funds and that instant settlement of sand dollar, that level of comfort and, and efficiency, that is the luck of success for me.
0: That's incredible and wish you the best of luck. That's a, that's a really great vision to have. Thank you so much for joining Kim Wood. This was an incredible conversation and it's amazing to hear everything that uh, you and the Central Bank of the Bahamas and Project Sandellers have accomplished today. All right. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton Fintech podcast. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a review or letting us know in the comments. It means a lot and helps spread the word to more listeners. If you want more content from our fintech community, please subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Medium, and Twitter at Warden Fintech. There you will find interviews, articles, videos, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. I would also like to thank our editor, Raphael Austria, for his incredible work on our episodes. Signing off, I'm your host, Anirudh Singh.